Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. And this is episode 31. Fun stuff going on here, Brian. Topic of the day. Can Texas go clean energy independent? Candidate Joseph Kopser of Texas, Texas District 21 uh, sure thinks so. Boom. Texas 21. I like what he calls it, how he calls it that. Yeah, yeah, I dig Sounds it. Sounds cool, like a gang, like a cool gang. So why is this special? It's about Texas. They're special, right? Uh, but also, this is our uh, first in a series of, it's what, August now? A uh, series of it conversations is. over the next few months with candidates for office running on November 6th. Many of them are supported by 314.org, uh, 314 because pi, uh, and also because we're on the cusp of either something really good or something really bad. Uh, so November 6th might just Ugh. be uh, the great filter. If you don't know what the great filter is, Google it. And they're committed to... Give me one second. I'm going to Google that. Yep. I'll, I'll wait. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, anyways, they're committed to electing more uh, STEM candidates to office. Uh, thanks to 314 for their help getting all these conversations organized. Uh, I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, very exciting. It's, you know, it's one thing to have marched this year mm-hmm. uh, or, or talk about having no scientists in office, but it is a, another thing to hear from them directly without all the, the bullshit um, on, on specific existential-ish topics. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it, we always say like, oh, we got to get this many house seats or we don't have th- these governors or state legislatures or, or whatever. The point is there's a total lack of scientists, kind of like how in the tech companies there's just a total lack of liberal arts majors. Yep. Um, we need more balance. We need some scientists like Joseph, who is a uh, 20-year combat vet and entrepreneur and tech vet and clean energy vet uh, who has sold companies and knows jobs in energy and Texas. Um, and a beer, apparently, very specifically. Um, <laughs> and to know, like, oh, these are the people that we actually have to put in office. Literally this specific person. He's in a right. district that's been red for 40 years or or close to that. Yeah, Whatever it is, it's fucking ridiculous. And putting putting any anybody in there, a raccoon would be great. Um, <laughs> but, but fucking putting someone like Joseph in or him specifically is also... They have those uh, scary eyes. That is the mission. Who? Raccoons? Raccoons, yeah. Well, it's like they have a mask on. It's like they're wearing a mask. No, it was really, it's very, it's insanely uh, exciting. Um, and uh, I don't know, it just gets me energized when you, when you, when we talk to somebody who is doing the thing that they're talking about doing. Like, that's, they're all, their whole thing is to actually do what they're saying. It's, it's weirdly like uh, rare. rare. <laughs> uh, and it's, and it like really, yeah, it really makes an impact. It's kind of like when I'm like, Brian, read these books. And you're like, yeah. And then you don't. I, I, that's not true. Have you listened to Greatest Showman yet? No. Gosh, you're fucking killing me. And that was uh, like five episodes. By ago. the way, did you figure out what the great filter is yet? The great filter in the context of the Fermi paradox mm-hmm. is whatever prevents dead matter from undergoing nope. abiogenesis nope. in time. Nope. Nope. <laughs> All right. You it's tell the other me. One. It's the other one. It is the theoretical, the question, the Fermi paradox question is, are we actually alone out there, right? Right, And the question uh, the scientist Fermi posted one day sitting at lunch with his colleagues was like, okay, guys, so cool. So the universe is really big. This is years ago. Mm -hmm. And he's like, we're we're finding more and more planets and stars. This is crazy. Where is everybody? And it's a great question because uh, if people had uh, interstellar travel, wouldn't they have come here already? Right? Right. right, In some way. Uh, and so the question is not great. And so one of the principles, the theory principles is, well, maybe they're, if they haven't come, maybe they can't, maybe they can't because interstellar travel is either impossible, which is, Mm -hmm. which is what most theoretical physicists think at this point. Can't go faster than the speed of light. Uh, so everything is too fucking far away or Mm -hmm. two that civilizations each civilization, if there are other ones, including ours, hit some sort of filter that that snuffs them out, right? Got it. Whether that's figuring out nuclear uh, capabilities, we right. just can't handle the power, basically, right? We don't just fade every out that civilization destroys itself before uh-huh. developing. So that's why they technology. haven't gotten there, and and that we're barreling towards it. So then the other the next question is: Are we? Is there a great filter? Let's assume right. there is. Are we past it, or are we mm. heading towards it? And if we're heading towards it, can we can we get through it? 
Um, so there's questions like uh, possible great filters when humanity almost got extinguished in the previous ice ages, we were down to thousands of people, right? Yeah. Um, or, uh, yeah, uh, cold war or specific pandemics, um, or November 6th, which is <laughs> the most important day of any of our lives register to vote and then vote. Because guess what? In a lot of these States, these terrible fucking people are trying to take away your vote. And even if it's safe today, might not be tomorrow. Go to vote.gov, register to vote, and then bring your most popular friend and go vote. Yes. November 6th might be our great filter. Here's a question as we're working on this stuff behind the scenes. Do you think we can get Zantac as a sponsor before then? <laughs> you know what? I think there's hope. I, I would think so, right? I mean, it's pretty fucking specific. If, if you're you work listen- for Zantac, call yeah. us. If, just, just give us a shout. We'll take it. We'll do a discount. Um, look, from what I understand, uh, stress cannot cause heartburn, but it can definitely exasperate it. And let me tell you something, uh, Brian. It's it, fucking started. It has begun. You know what doesn't give me heartburn? I mean, it does in some way because I have to travel across the country with uh, four toddlers. Uh, coming home? Coming back? <laughs> coming back to you, buddy. Are you excited? I've, I've been waiting months for this. Are you excited? Beyond. <laughs> You're really fucking selling it. What have you missed the most about me? Go. There's nothing that I have to sell because it's just the truth. Now you're avoiding the question. What have you missed the most about me specifically? Go. Uh, specifically, huh? <laughs> well, can it, it's just the time I missed the time that we spend together. Oh boy, this is this feels like a breakup conversation if I've ever. No, heard one. I miss I miss being in the office with you, mm-hmm. listening to music with you. Oh, I will miss you geez. judging me, <laughs> judging my haircut, judging I what my beard looks you. like, I judging my judge music you. choices. I miss eating ice cream with you. Mm. I miss when we go to get coffee and you. Fucking speed walk. <laughs> I miss. We I miss when coffee <laughs> across like a hundred and ten degree sidewalk. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm pumped for you uh, to be back. It's you know, finally fucking, here. It's taking forever. Yeah. So, uh, did you see Salt and I forty do Salt and Straws monthly flavors is like vegetable based? Yeah. Some of the shit looks crazy. Down for beet red velvet for sure. Right. Absolutely. You know also, the problem peanut with, butter pickle. The problem with beets, though, you know, beets, yeah. first of all, they're amazing for you. Beets, um, You know what happens you. when you eat beets, right? The next morning you wake up. Yeah, what? You, what? you look in the toilet and you go, oh, I'm dying. Uh, and then you go, oh, no, sweet Jesus, I just ate beets. Every maybe, time. Hey, maybe they use golden beets. I don't think so, because it's fucking red velvet ice it's cream. red velvet. Shit. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's true. Hey, question. Uh, total change of topic. Have you heard about the, <laughs> the Arch mission? This is getting a little sci-fi for us, but it's a real thing. So uh, the Arch Mission Foundation, our mission is to preserve and disseminate humanity's most important information across time and space for the benefit of future generations. Oh, okay. Wow. They're building like archives of information and shooting them into space. uh, How how are they readable? Unclear. Uh, Lines include they will last billions of years longer than the pyramids. Wow. Maybe the only remaining trace of our species and civilization. Again, just continuing on the November 6th Zantac thing. I hope they're going to yeah. get them off by the November great 5th. Yeah. yeah. Ah. I foresee some sort of future where Asgardia uses its future <laughs> uh, nascent military capabilities and they're just, they're stealing these archives out of space and off the surfaces of planets and asteroids to snuff out human civilization. Oh my God. Your thoughts if they ask you to do that? Well, I would have to have a long meeting with them and be fully aware of what I was getting back in return. You know, what, what do I get? What, what would you need to get back in return in exchange for snuffing out the history of humanity? I don't know. A lot of stuff, a lot of really neat stuff. Uh, you're you're the worst human <laughs> in a lot of ways. Come on, I'm not going to Asgardia. No, you're good. Let's let's the people like this. They like this. You're there. You don't have any specific. You don't have a very specific set of skills. Let's be honest. I'm, it's unclear to me how you make the cut. Uh, besides being a swell guy, my point is like, are you're you not, just you're just saying this right now to me? No, I'm just saying like you're not a pilot. Uh, you're not a physicist. 
You're not an astrobiologist. Uh, I'm a fun guy. You're a great guy to have around, and those people are important, or else morale is going through the through the through the tank out the airlock. My ask, my question is like, what role do you think they would ask you to specifically play in destroying the history of humanity? <laughs> are you just That's... the guy who literally puts him in the fucking garbage chute and presses the compactor button? No, I think I could have a better role than that. I, I'm, I'm not gonna. To be clear, I have I don't know what mine would be. Like, what are my skills? I don't know. I'm so tired. I'm pretty. You know, here's what I am. I'm an adventurer. I'm uh, I'm courageous. If they need me to do something risky, I'm all about taking risks. So mm-hmm. if they need me to do something risky, take a chance. Mm-hmm. They could. They may be able to convince me to do that. <laughs> you really sold the shit. I'm an adventurer. <laughs> they may be able, depending on well, what I'm, I'm not, getting I'm, out of it. I'm not That's a, a maniac. This sounds like the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark when when they're, the army's trying to sell him on going to get the shit and he's like, yeah, I'm yep. already out the door. What if he had been like, here's the deal. You <laughs> might be if it's gentle enough and their form signed, I well, will tra- maybe go. I'm not trying to get hurt, okay? I just want to do the thing where the risk is high, but I come back and I'm fine. Riskiest thing you've ever done. What? There's so many answers. No, there should be one. It's the riskiest. What is the number oh, one? Oh, right. Uh, really selling yourself in his adventurer here. Joseph one time, had an answer immediately. One time when, yeah, but yeah, but Joseph has the fastest tongue in the West or the South, whenever. Go, <sighs> I'm taking a lot of, go, taking a lot thing. of this. Go, what is well, it? I, one time I was, one time I, I ran, sprinted full speed down a hallway and through my body at a window six floors up but luckily I bounced, bounced <laughs> off so, and just landed back on the floor but man if I would have gone through that thing dead man why the fuck did you do that pretty risky it's college Jesus alright well let's go uh, talk to the other guys trying to influence humanity in a positive way <laughs> yeah that's gonna be a better conversation okay here we go there we go Our guest today is Joseph Kopser, and together we're going to ask a question that's uh, probably been on every Texan's mind since about 1845. Can Texas finally go uh, independent? Of course, we mean clean energy independent, uh, not to get too carried away. Uh, <laughs> and yet, uh, what an awesome uh, thing that would be in a model for, for everywhere else. Uh, Joseph, welcome. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. Very happy, uh, very happy to have you, Joseph. Uh, let's get started. Just uh, tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so currently, who I am and what I do, I'm running for Congress to replace Lamar Smith, who is the chair of the House and Science Technology Committee, uh, the district that we represent here, that he represents in, in, in title, I should say, is Texas 21. That's San Antonio, Austin, and the Hill Country. He's been in the, in the position for 32 years, and I'm currently... Uh, trying to replace him. My backstory was uh, after West Point, I was an aerospace engineer, but decided to go into the ground combat side of the Army, was in the cavalry for 20 years. Along the way, though, I actually became a clean energy warrior back in 2004 on my first trip to Iraq when I saw how uh, how messed up our national security strategy was, how it was overly dependent on our lack of energy security uh, being the fact that we're, as a planet, we're so addicted to Mideast oil and oil from countries like Russia that don't really like us. Uh, and so I've been working very hard for uh, a decade and a half to try to reduce our dependence on, you know, for, foreign sources of fuel that come from countries that don't like us, number one, mm-hmm. and then overall move towards a more renewable energy economy. Uh, after 20 years in the Army, I got out, got into business accidentally as an entrepreneur, creating a mobile app called Ride Scout that allows the user to connect together with all the modes of transportation in a city that actually had a clean energy angle uh, that I was quite proud of in order to get people to find ways to and from work or school using uh, the automobile by themselves as a less of a, uh, I I would say, you know, using that less as their first choice to first instead look for other ways to get there. Uh, For that, we actually won the uh, 2013 White House Champion of Change Award. I was thrilled to go and receive that award. And then in 2014, our app won the 2014 Data Innovation Award at the U.S. Department of Transportation. So that was wow. a pretty cool awesome. time. Yeah, you know, I Damn. didn't go into business to 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 seek out the profits or the or the or the 
uh, or the credit for it, if you mm-hmm, will. But mm-hmm. what happened along the way was people recognized what we were building worked for them. And then, of course, after my company was acquired by Mercedes in 2014, they were going towards mobility as a service in new, innovative ways. Uh, 2016 happened. Our politics collapsed. And I said, well, shoot, I guess it's time for me to return to public service because I'm not going to sit on the sidelines when I think I can help. So oh, that's, I, that's me. That's how I got to now. Man, I love that attitude. That's awesome. That's yeah, amazing. It is uh, funny and kind of ridiculous sometimes the places we find ourselves. Absolutely. I love the uh, the quick addition uh, when you were talking about Lamar that uh, he uh, represents the, the Austin and San Antonio in title only. Yes. Well, he hasn't had a town hall in several years. And, uh, you know, which is a growing trend among too many people in, in Congress today, mm-hmm. Democrats, and Republicans alike. And I hope to change that. I love that. And, uh, you know, one of the organizations we like to support that's fairly new, like so many things since 2016, uh, is, is a town hall project. And they do a oh, good yeah. job of uh, keeping track of who's doing bullshit like that and, and how to attend the ones that are happening, whether they're digital or in person. Um, yeah, I hope people follow them on Twitter. I've been proud to be a, a signee. I signed on to their pledge nice. uh, quite early on in my campaign. I love it. Excellent. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll include it in the, in the notes for the show, of course. Cool. Um, all right. So uh, let's get our conversation uh, set up for today. Um, we are uh, believers in action-oriented questions, Joseph. Uh, yep. What, why, how, um, uh, you know, how, how to point our species in the in the right direction. So that's the angle we're coming from today. That's what we're going to get to, if that works for you. Sure. Awesome. Uh, so, Joseph, uh, we start with one uh, important question we like to ask uh, to get to the heart of why you're here today. Uh, instead of saying, tell us your life story, uh, as incredibly compelling as yours seems, uh, we like to ask, Joseph, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Vital to the survival of the species? Well, yes, I sir. play a Be small bold. part in it. Uh, I believe that if we get more people involved, and if that's my part of being vital to the survival, then then I guess I'm playing my small part to get more people involved. And the way that I'm trying to help is to get people to realize that if we move towards a more renewable economy, finding forms of energy uh, and producing energy that are far more sustainable, especially states like Texas that have an abundance of wind and solar and, of course, geothermal, And then if we can find ways to not only produce it more locally, but then also store it more efficiently uh, in a distributed way that's less on the grid and more where people live, work, and play, if we can get people to recognize that that's the way to go in the future and then add one more wrinkle, which is to show and demonstrate to folks that there are real market-based, business-based practices that we can do to generate solutions for this, then it's a win-win-win. Uh, you know, like I said before, with people, profit, and planets. Uh, that's probably the part I'm going to play is bringing these tribes together, which up until now, all too often, don't like to talk to other parties involved because they are inherently suspicious of them or they've demonized them so that in their tribes, they can't imagine them ever being at the table together. But I've spent my whole life bringing people together from different backgrounds. And so I guess that's my small part I'll play uh, in the survival of the species. Hell, Excellent. that sounds pretty damn good to me. People, profit, planets. I yep, love it. Triple bottom line. I love it. The triple bottom line. Um, awesome. So, Joseph, uh, we want to establish a little context for our topic today. Uh, and we usually uh, do a little something called Context 101 with Professor Brian, where Brian gives a pretty sloppy book report about the topic at hand. Ah. Um, uh, we're actually going to change it up a little bit this week. Uh, Brian got a little uh, tired uh, of those. His hand is hurting. <laughs> So what we're going to try to do is uh, I'm going to do a little bit of it and, and uh, we'll, we'll let Brian uh, kind of stand in for our audience a little more, who again is, is nerdy Pod Save America listeners, uh, but sometimes we can uh, get wonky or carried away and we won't have her on the same page. So he's going to ask us some stop us and ask pertinent questions. And Joe, considering uh, you're a combat vet, a scientist, an entrepreneur and congressional candidate seeking to become uh, one of the only scientists in our legislative branch, uh, please uh, feel free to jump in whenever uh, Sweet Brian has a question I can't answer, which is, you know, most of the time. <laughs> Brian, please get your questions ready. So we're going to talk a little bit today about energy grids and clean energy and renewable energy. So what's what's clean? Uh, solar, uh, wind, hydropower, geothermal, those are sort of the four 
maintenance of clean renewable energy, uh, at least mostly in the U.S. and across the world. They come in uh, different proportions. Uh, hey, Glenn, what, what's geothermal? Thanks for asking, Brian. Um, that is uh, energy that primarily comes from under the earth. Um, you might have uh, uh, maybe steam coming up, uh, something like that. Um, okay. Well, can, it's also one of the oldest forms of, of heating and cooling, which is why we would build caves to be able to keep meat after we salted it or keep wine after we produced it because it kept a pretty steady state temperature, especially if you go down more than 10 feet. Uh, and therefore, if you just run some pipes underneath your house or your factory, mm-hmm. you're able to circulate that water. In the summertime, you cool your water, and in the wintertime, you warm your water, and then you circulate that through your home, and then boom, geothermal power and heating and cooling. It's great stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you you might be sitting on a great source of it, but it's obviously a tiny amount of what the earth is putting out, so hence right. it's, uh, it's, it's pretty renewable, and you're not really burning anything. Um uh, so yeah, those are the sources that provide energy are theoretically completely renewable and also don't, uh, ruin the place. So we're going to focus on those a little bit. So, uh, where does the U S get its energy in 2018? Um, later supports say about 62% fossil fuels. 31% is natural gas fracking. 30% is coal, uh, about 20% nuclear and, uh, 18% renewable. We obviously need those to fly. Flip flop like yesterday, <laughs> but we're making uh, progress bit by bit. Uh, solar technicians, wind technicians, some of the fastest growing jobs uh, on the planet, especially in America. Uh, we got a long way to go, um, but there's also like a lot of opportunity. I think Joseph was talking about the triple bottom line. So not just in the resources available to us, like geothermal or the, just the fucking sunshine or the wind, but also in jobs and pure money. It's a it's a whole uh, economy waiting to happen. Um, so, uh, what about Texas? So Texas is the second biggest state geographically behind Alaska. Um, smaller than Alaska? Smaller than Alaska. Alaska is absolutely huge. Uh, it's, uh, it's totally crazy. It's just mostly empty. Well, I just want to interrupt though and say, yeah. but in terms of attitude, Texas is bigger than Alaska. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, we'll, thank you for clearing that up. Joseph. We'll take yep. that every day. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I'll tell you what, Texas, for all the shit it gets about uh, oil, you know, I, I drink your milkshake. Their breakdown was about the same as the rest of the U.S. Uh, tons of wind, 17%, oh, really? only 1% solar, I think. And Joseph, you can correct me. That's a, I believe that's because the solar deals are still about twice as expensive as wind. Is that right? Well, it's getting much better, faster, stronger. But right. I will point out that uh, because of work done by previous governors, Republican Bush and Perry, right. we actually ran the transmission lines we need to bring wind from where it blows to where the people live. Right. And that and, was like in uh, like 2007, right? That was ages well, ago. They started, they started that a long time ago. And so, so much so that in November of 2015, during that holiday weekend, when people were really cranking up their air conditioners, we actually produced more electricity in the state from wind than any other form of electricity at that time. So that's incredible. And, you know, I think that gets to a point which is economists or at least some economists or 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 naysayers have always said that, you know, we we can't get to renewables 20 percent or more without the economy spiraling out of control. But uh, wind is kicking a lot of ass. Right. They said that every step of the way and every step of the way we continue to have a greater slice using renewables. And guess what? Our economy still has never been stronger than it is today. That's incredible. Um, wow. So the question today is kind of, could they go energy independent? And it's a little bit of a, a trick question because Texas is already basically energy independent. Uh, so s- side lesson, the U.S. electric grid, as everyone always says, is not one thing. It's not even really three things, but it is kind of three main grids uh, that got hooked up over the course of the 20th century, the east of uh, the west and the Texas. Um, Texas has its own? Yes. yes. Texas ERCOT. has... Yes, ERCOT. Uh, uh, so everything they need, they got to produce. And, uh, there's, there's a reason for that. And not surprisingly, uh, and Joseph, correct me if I'm wrong. It's, it's about, uh, from the beginning was about not being regulated by the feds, by Washington, correct? Um, uh, I don't want to be too conspiracy theory oriented, but yes, we're an independent people. Right. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, from, from what I understand, FDR signed the federal power act. Uh, and because your power lines don't ba- basically don't cross any state lines, you don't send much out 
uh, or really bring anything in. So it's not interconnected. Uh, so Washington has uh, has nothing there. So right now it is mostly huh. dirty, but wind and solar are growing. The question is, is how clean can they get? How fast can they get there? As Houstonians can tell you, uh, these super storms will batter the shit out of your fossil fuel plants, uh, plants yeah. on fire. But also there is a, a lot to be made here out of jobs and money. Uh, so the question is, is can they go energy independent as as renewable as possible? So my question is, to start this off, is will voters support it? And how do you pitch that to them? Uh, and those uh, are questions uh, we have for our man, uh, Joseph, who's here, uh, who's trying to do that exact thing, I imagine, every day. So, uh, Joseph, how do you approach these conversations with voters? You're not exactly uh, in a blue district. Uh, with a bunch of people who are already on board. Uh, so, so talk us through a day-to-day life of, of talking about clean energy and climate with these folks. Yeah, so the first thing I do is I just meet people where they are, try to figure out what their values are, what's important to them, and then that's how we begin the conversation. So if you're talking to the Farm Bureau and those ranchers and farmers that get their livelihood off of the land that require clean water, access to clean water, and it'd be nice if it rained every now and then, uh, those are the people you talk to about changing weather patterns. You talk to them about requirements, uh, about who can dump what into the aquifers that lead into the creeks that their cows, cattle, uh, and and livestock used for feeding. So wherever we are, we meet them there. I might be in a VFW. If I'm in a VFW, I'm talking about this 17-year-long war that still mm-hmm. has no real end in sight. Mm-hmm. And then I and then the fact that ISIS got their start back in Syria uh, five, six, seven years ago after changing weather patterns crushed uh, the Sy- Syrian wheat crops and Syrian farmers all went into the cities to find work. Well, they couldn't find work in the traditional form, but they did find these ISIS characters that wanted to pay them to be able to be a part of their fighting force. Mm-hmm. And so if you remind people that their daily lives are impacted in a way that, without saying the phrase climate change, uh, is is vulnerable to or is in some way, shape, or form uh, impacted by energy and the environment in a way they're maybe not thinking about, then that's your door. That's the door mm-hmm. that you and you have that conversation. Hurricane Harvey uh, and the tragedy that it brought to this state and, the, and along the Gulf Coast has been a source of conversation among people who may have never talked much about changing weather patterns in the past. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing you have to do. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, what you have to do is you got to hit them in their pocketbooks and talk about the financial impact that you're having and the decision that people make. And so I'm a big proponent of reminding folks that we can clean the air. We can keep the lakes and rivers clean. Mm-hmm. We can have market-based solutions that get at these problems. And then that's where I usually end it right there with them and then mm-hmm. let them kind of ask me, how's that? What does that look like? It Without going all um, uh, too much nerd at first, but I just <laughs> want to start with what the problem is and Never how it's- go full nerd right away. You can't go full nerd too fast. Yeah, Brian has that problem all the time. Uh, so do you just, do you really, you never start with climate change or do you just avoid that specific title whatsoever? It just depends on who I'm talking to. But no, sure. I don't lead with climate change. If I lead with anything, I talk about the fact that in Iraq, uh, our soldiers in Afghanistan, our soldiers are delivering fuel and diesel and JP8 out to remote locations to be able to run our generators. And I asked a simple question, why is it that we're using generators, at least when I was there in 2004 and six, we made some improvements, but why is it that we're using generators built 10, 20, 30 years ago that are horribly fuel inefficient, meaning that to keep our equipment running, we've got American soldiers putting their lives at risk, delivering fuel Mm -hmm. to a gas guzzling Mm -hmm. diesel generator uh, for the sole purpose of running a series of air conditioners or electrical equipment that, oh, by the way, have no thermostats. And, and, oh, by the way, when you get soldiers on the road delivering that fuel, that's when they are most susceptible to roadside bombs, to interdiction from the enemy. That's what the military calls soft targets. And we're losing life. We're losing limb, Mm -hmm. literally delivering carbon-based fuels. And if that doesn't get them to, you know, pay attention, uh, then there's almost no way to reach them. And so I changed the message delivery, but my values don't change. Just mm-hmm. the message delivery about how I approach people, meet them where they are, and what's important to them. 
are, are, are people walking away from these conversations pretty, uh, how, 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 how do they walk away from these conversations with you? Oh, they're walking away realizing that I'm trying to be pragmatic about it. They walk away realizing that uh, my goal, the end state, is to get us to a point where we are moving towards a greater share of our, our energy economy built on renewables. And I'm making the argument that there's a business case for it. We'll employ a lot more people uh, and our rivers and lakes will stay cleaner in the process of doing that. And then mm-hmm. it gets them to scratch. Them. Right. How are the utilities? How, what is what is their stance and, and process on incorporating more uh, renewables into the into the Texas grid? Yeah, well, it depends on who you're talking to. It's different by different communities. Georgetown, Texas, just north of Austin, one of the most conservative areas, but they've certainly had a lot of elected Republicans for a very long time there. And they have moved. You can check my facts and throw it on your website. They've moved to a 100 percent renewable economy for their power production. Georgetown, Texas. Why? Because they saw the math, what they could do with wind, excuse me, solar. Mm -hmm. And so for them, it was a decision based on finances. And then secondly, so there's two power plants uh, here in Texas last fall that Mm -hmm. shut down. Uh, They were coal producing, excuse me, coal fired electrical production plants here in the state of Texas. They shut down. Their board of directors made the decision to shut it down because natural gas prices are so much cheaper that that is a much better option for them. And as we know, coal uses more water in the full life cycle from extraction through the point of production to make electricity than natural gas does. And so that is a step towards progress. And again, Mm -hmm. I got nothing against coal miners. They just have me working in an industry that is producing one of the dirtiest, most water-intensive forms of carbon fuel that we have. And I want to see more production move towards Cleaner forms, which in this case right now is natural gas. Mm-hmm. Now, all that being said, I had a lot of friends, a lot of environmentalist friends that cheered the, the shutdown of those two plants. But I put up the big timeout symbol and I said, timeout, hold on, hold on. That was 600 Texas families that got the pink slip yeah, because right. their coal plant, their coal fired plant was shut down. Mm-hmm. And we either need to embrace them and be a part of seeing them put right, or we've just made 600 people angry against this movement towards a cleaner energy economy. And we've got to be make sure we're pointing out all sides of the story when we talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's one thing to cheer them. It's great. We're making progress, but we, we need to have a constructive backup plan. And, and I, that doesn't apply just to Texas. But, you know, talking about jobs, you know, I, from my research, it looks like te- Texas has something like, you know, 9,000 megawatts of wind lined up, not even hooked up yet. Uh, wind tech is the fastest growing job in the U.S. You know, why wouldn't Texas be building, you know, 100 wind tech vocational schools so that when these coal miners are let go, you know, on Friday, on Monday, they're starting to train for for clean energy, for renewable energy? Yeah. Well, if I can get into Congress, I'm going to start moving in the direction of moving towards that. But you have to acknowledge uh, or else it's it's hard to get this ball moving down the field, which is. The clean energy economy has become so synonymous with Democrats uh, and or far right Republicans that are just trying to throw up dust or obstacles in the way that are trying to make anything that moves towards a cleaner energy economy seem like some kind of socialist democratic conspiracy sure. uh, that is doing a disservice to not only our politics, but it's doing a disservice to uh, the business community as well, because slowly but surely they're figuring out that there are these great opportunities and renewables here in the state. And Mm -hmm. I hope to be a part of that pragmatic conversation going forward. Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, 
And now it can be your go-to for podcasts too. So question, let's say you get voted into office, uh, which would be just wonderful. Would you find it easier to appeal to your constituents, the ones who, who voted for you and the ones who didn't, to initiate more clean energy products and processes in the U.S.? Do you see that flying better with more uh, regulation through the APA or with something like a carbon fee? Or I don't, some people say carbon tax. We know that's not going to fly. Yeah, long term, we've got a right price carbon in our market. Mm-hmm. We have to, period. And the analogy that I love to use with people, whether I'm in a uh, an older VFW that still has the ceiling tiles that are smoke infested, and I just simply ask them a question, who's going to clean those ceiling tiles? Sure. And then they're like, well, what do you mean clean those ceiling tiles? I say, well, we've been smoking, and you guys have been smoking in this VFW now for 50, 60 years. Those, cleaning t- those ceiling tiles are going to need to be cleaned. What is the cost of cleaning them? Huh. And then they say, well, you know, it's this or that. We'll just replace them. It'll cost such and such. I say, okay, fine. Who pays for that? And it's right. like, well, VFW pays for that. So, well, why not the people that came in here and smoked it up? Why not ask them to contribute 10 cents or a nickel for every pack of cigarettes that are in here smoking so that when you do have to replace the ceiling tiles, then you can pay for it. And they shrugged their shoulders and said, well, that kind of makes sense. And I said, now, why can't we do the same thing with, with carbon-based fuels that we have today and then allow that pricing incentive to be able to change behavior and move in the direction that is not only better for the economy, but also right prices. And then we can talk about what we do with that money that we raise later on, who gets to use it, what it gets used for. But until we have people realizing that that carbon has a a price tag at the end that we're not accounting for, Mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to move forward. Have you seen any specific carbon pricing plans or or theories uh, that you're on board with? Not any one particular. I do put on my website just the general overview of how I'd like to see it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I read many different versions, and I'm excited about all of them. But none of them will go forward without a bipartisan approach, which gives right. me great, great confidence in what I saw last week. I go too fast nowadays to read these stories in detail. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, a nice piece of legislation was just put forward by two Republicans, if I'm not mistaken, backed up with letters of support from about uh, 30 or so uh, energy producers to include some of the big oil companies who said, look, folks, we're on board with carbon pricing. You just got to have it be very clear and be very predictable. And once we know what the rules are, we're happy to get on board because it's a win-win for folks down the road. Yeah, we'll have to dig that up, Brian. Uh, Yeah, on it. Figure that one out. You know, getting to carbon pricing is interesting because Texas uses a hell of a lot of energy, doesn't it? I think it's been like yes. number one for like 50 years. It blows California, which has way more people, uh, right out of the water. Why? Well, we have a huge manufacturing base. Two, right. we don't have the same kind of stringent regulations that California does. Mm-hmm. Third, we, we have, of course, the huge refinery uh, sure. industry that's here. Uh, and then fourth, our automobiles aren't under the same uh, emission standards that California sure. And then lastly, the secret uh, contributor that people don't talk about much is concrete. There's a whole lot yeah. of concrete in Texas. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that production, news. extraction, and then uh, actually putting the concrete in uh, contributes quite a bit as well. So uh, the Texan people kind of get a little bit of a bad rap because per capita, you're actually probably doing all right. But the massive refineries and, and manufacturing, uh, you know, a lot of those refineries then turning around and spitting out energy, of course. Yep. But it, Right now, with those methods, it takes energy to make energy. Yes, but uh, so if lots, if the like the fuel fossil fuel plants go away, then energy use goes down. Uh, well, it's not the energy use goes down. Again, I want to focus on the abundance. We have right. a ton of wind and solar and sure. geothermal, as well as hydro, especially using our coastline. It's not that our energy usage will go down. I'm not asking people to use less. Mm-hmm. I'm asking people to use cleaner forms of energy. And there is a way to do both. It, do you think you can, where California's had to go crazy on the water situation because three quarters of its city shouldn't exist in the past couple of <laughs> years. And because of regulations on the cars and, and things like that and rolling blackouts, is there a way to ask uh, District uh, 21 voters to use less energy or is that not just a non-starter? Keeping in mind, again, they're not abusing it. Uh, per capita, it's not bad, but I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh, again, 
I'm not asking people to use less energy. What I want to make sure they all understand is they got a box they can check on almost all of their utility producers that are here that ask them if they want to pay a little bit more Mm -hmm. for cleaner forms of energy, uh, wind and solar. And that Mm -hmm. is an option for a lot of utility producers here in Texas 21. But the other thing that I want them to do is to recognize that if we, working with the energy industry, focus on the research and development needed to recycle water rather than have to extract it from the ground, use it in energy production, whether it be fracking, whether it be coal, whether it be the other many forms that use water today. If we can recycle that water, we're using less, we're more efficient, and then long-term it becomes cheaper. And that's something that I would love people to get on board with because uh, we have what's called the capture rule, capture law here in Texas, which means if the water runs underneath your land, you're able to drill a well down and basically extract that water with very little concern for your downstream neighbors. Mm-hmm. It's an old, outdated law that probably needs to be updated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and by the way, that 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 works for a rabbit running across your land on the top of the ground, as well as the water going under it. And you can understand from a very property rights oriented kind of state that we sure, are, sure. that that's a challenge. And that's a state level battle that needs to be taken on. But I mm-hmm. think in partnership with the federal government, we have a role to play in that. Fascinating. So, so yeah. So uh, on that sort of land rights, uh, property rights message, thinking ag- again about uh, solar and wind a little bit, where are most of the solar existing and new solar and wind installation going? Because that's a big question across the U.S. is obviously uh, you know, moving over to fully renewables is a question of placement. Where can something most uh, consistently produce energy, either wind or solar? So it can't be, uh, you know, too far in the Northeast. It's going to have seven months of winter or a place where the wind doesn't blow, but then we get to transmission and then we also get to storage. We got to fix the battery problem. How is that? Where where are those wind and solar installations going in in Texas when they're growing like crazy? Are they on uh, is any of that stuff on public land? Are they are they private farms uh, or are they rooftops? What's the story there? Yeah, it's D all the above. So without getting into the specifics, be perhaps misquoted, there, there are several things that are happening. So the wind blows in this state at, at the coastline and out in the western part of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's generally flatter and in some places the wind just absolutely never stops. However, mm. not a lot of people that live out there, which is why the transmission lines to be able to get it there is so important. The next battle that's coming really is where are those transmission lines going to go? Because the closer and closer they get to high dense populations, you're going to have fights with homeowners as to whether or not they go through our neighborhoods, if they go through our protected areas, if they go through our beautiful natural parks, that's going to be a real issue. Mm -hmm. Second point, there is an ever-increasing amount of discussion about how we use our military installations that have a ton of land. There's over 96 military installations in Texas, uh, but don't necessarily have people using those for reasons of either there might be a protected species out there, there might be old uh, unexploded ordnance, there might be reasons why we don't use all that land, but the federal government or the state government and military uses that land. Um, but nobody's on it. So just recently, uh, let's summer of 2017, if I got my numbers right, Fort Hood, Texas, right in the middle of the state, opened up 10 megawatts of solar on its own land and then got into a partnership deal with 50 megawatts down the road and then built the transmission lines to bring that in. That is a clear example yes. where the federal government's using its purse strings and the land uh, to be able to provide these incentives. How did that go over? I've seen no complaints since they started it. Uh, and, and more importantly, what people realize is that provides not only energy surety, but it provides energy security. Sure. Because if we're able to produce more of our electricity on our military installations, it makes us less susceptible to someone hacking into the grid mm-hmm. and making it harder. So we're trying to create those islands of energy sustainability and, and energy security. And then the third, of course, is rooftop which um, running for Congress, I wouldn't have been able to tell you beforehand how many folks had rooftop solar until actually getting out there, knocking doors and walking through neighborhoods. And I've been very pleasantly impressed with how many southward facing rooftops we've got in our district with people installing solar. 
Are there oh, specific really? incentives in your district uh, from the utilities for for rooftops? Because uh, I know it. I mean, it varies. There were every district in, the in America. Where it stands right now, I don't know exactly, uh, but we do need to be able to provide those incentives to be able mm-hmm. to keep that going mm-hmm. because long term it's going to get. Now, what we've got to tackle is the larger discussion about what happens when a person can generate more electricity on site. Right. And then can actually contribute it back to the grid. There's mm-hmm. problems about, you know, the cleanliness of that electricity, you know, and making sure that it that it doesn't hurt or harm the grid itself. Sure. But then also getting at the regulations that say, wait, if this person is an energy producer, then they fall under a different set of rates and fees. And and when I met a, a gentleman, you know, a husband and wife that had a big solar uh, panel on their on their land out on their ranch. They were actually not able to sell it back because it would actually be more expensive because they would be liable to the higher fees. Now, I haven't investigated and followed, but it's those kind of anecdotes and stories that we need to get to the bottom of. And I know that was for the case out in Fort Bliss, Texas, when they tried to sell electricity because they built a massive solar farm out there. Uh, that just dwarfs anything else on most installations. They mm-hmm. were not allowed to sell it back when they built it. I don't know if they can now mm-hmm. to the local grid because that was seen as unfair government co- uh, competition. And we just mm-hmm. needed to change. Yeah, I, I, I understand and empathize how it's complicated. You know, these utilities are getting hit with demands to change overnight. And uh, they are very old institutions that were not built for this in a number of ways, administratively, technically, uh, flexibility wise uh it is complicated when you've suddenly not only have people producing their own energy but then uh you know maybe they're storing it in their tesla battery and now now they want to send it back into the grid and how do you how do you rate that how do you how do you execute it what do you do with it i get it well all of it needs uh, here here's where we have to change how we view utilities utility companies in this united States should not be incentivized and governed by a business model that has them producing basically nearly unlimited amounts and then charging customers, then making their profit based on ever increasing amounts of production. We need to flip it and provide an incentive for them to operate as electricity as a service. And electricity as a service comes with so many new ways of thinking about it. Imagine, for instance, the electrical company being incentivized to help you buy that more energy efficient refrigerator, which you know kind of blows people's mind. They're like, wait a minute, why should my utility company be involved in what re- refrigerator I choose? But it's like, well, wait a minute. It's one of the biggest consumers of electricity in your house. Same thing with your HVAC unit. Mm-hmm. If we get into an ecosystem holistic approach, uh, then we're going to be able to reflip uh, how we talk about this. And, and, and another podcast that I'd uh, encourage you to check out or your listeners are linked to mm-hmm. is a fascinating discussion between Amory Lovins, one of my heroes in this world, in this area from the Rocky Mountain Institute, mm-hmm. talked to John Powers, one of the early clean energy warriors in the United States Army who actually worked at the White House Council on Environmental Quality. And the t- discussion the two of them had uh, is a deep dive into what we're talking about here in terms of flipping that business model. And so, Great discussion. Awesome. Much wow. like this one, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is very much. Uh, all right. Let's, let's talk about Chip Roy for uh, for a second. Being called the heir apparent to his former boss, Ted Cruz, which, Jesus. Um, we, we looked over his, uh, his website, Campaign Promises, um, not a single item on energy or climate. Right. Um, right. Climate, I get. But anybody voting for this guy doesn't give a fuck for the climate, so whatever. But energy is the heart of Texas, right? Yeah. So, so what are the what are the main specific differences between you and Chip when it comes to these issues? Where does where does he stand? Uh, well, I don't know where he stands, other than where he has sat before. So, where he, <laughs> he has sat before is working for Ken Paxton, who is our Attorney General. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, the only Attorney General in the United States that's under indictment right now. Uh, huh. Convenient. And I don't know where he stands, but I do know where he sits. It's been the fact that he used to sit and work for uh, Ted Cruz. The uh, well, he needs no introduction. Ted Cruz, and then one of the, the earliest endorsements that got in his race was from Lamar Smith, who says that uh, my opponent knows more about how Washington works from being there than you know ninety plus members of Congress because he spent a lot of time there. The contrast to the issues that I would say is. Maybe not my opponent. Don't know. He's never really talked about it yet. 
But the people who he has worked for, he is associated with himself working for, have got this belief that you are not able to create jobs and opportunity in a cleaner energy economy and are big fans of what I've seen so far in remaining quiet as the president has pulled us out of the clean power plan, pulled us out of the Paris Accords, and has done things inside the EPA that are actually rolling back the progress we made uh, in order to be able to provide those incentives. So for all those combined, what I would tell your listeners is the single biggest difference between him, between me and policy of my opponent, me, you can talk about policy all day. The difference is I've actually done it. You mm-hmm. talked about a podcast being involved and in talking about things that can happen, the would, should, and could. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have built an organization, I co-founded it here in Texas called the Defense Energy Summit, mm-hmm. linking together practitioners in military, federal government acquisition, uh, entrepreneurs, innovators, academics who know what they're doing. And you can go online and find this conference. It's been in, in action since November of 2013. It's going into you know November 2018 or this fall, I think it's maybe October, it's mm-hmm. next conference out in Tampa. And in addition to that, like I mentioned, the company that I built, Ride Scout, had that clean energy play to be able to allow people to find more efficient ways to get to work, spending less time stuck behind their wheel, spending more time uh, getting to work, uh, in, in, I should say, less time getting to work because they're mm-hmm. getting to work more efficiently uh, using a commuter optimization tool like Ride Scout that I built. So that's the, my favorite part about this discussion. We talk about the clean energy economy is I've been there, done that. Like sure. that's kind You've of participated stuff. participated in it. Yeah. And in full disclosure, uh, I'm a heavy investor in clean energy companies and technologies. So sure. that, that's the, the difference and the contrast I would say between me and my opponent is I've been there, done that. And, and and I get it. Clean energy and, and climate change are dirty words, but it, you know, when, when you see actual data that says, you know, these, these jobs, are the fastest growing jobs in America. And you see that these the prices of these energy deals are lower than almost anything but natural gas. And in a lot of parts of the world now are just the lowest by a long shot. You know, and you see so many massive corporations in America jumping on the bad bandwagon and going renewable because it's just good for the business. They're becoming both independent and it's better for the bottom line. You just wonder, like, what, what does it take for these people to get on board and go, oh, you know, you don't even, again, you don't have to talk about climate. Just get on board with the jobs thing or get on board with the bottom line, whatever, you know. I don't want to be too wonky, uh, uh, but there is metric data that's out there in terms of consumer beliefs and people's beliefs that's important in this whole discussion. Uh, We should be, we as a community, those trying to move towards a cleaner, more renewable economy, need to focus on the people that we can impact, Mm -hmm. which are those 17 to 20 percent of folks that are in the middle of the bell curve of the Mm -hmm. uh, ideological spectrum, there will be just some people who no matter what you say, you will never be able to convince them. There's no time really worrying too much. You know, you want to do right by them and save them from uh, their own decision not to pay attention. But I saw in social media today, two gentlemen at a political rally. I I don't know know whose rally it was exactly, but their t-shirt said- With the Russia shirts? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Rather be a Russian than a Democrat. And when you read shirts like that, especially for someone who myself, I you know went into West Point during the height of the Cold War against the Soviets, when the expression back then was better dead than red, to see people, grown men, grown adults, wearing those T-shirts, yeah. recognizing that the facts of what's going on with the, with the rising sea levels, the facts of the, of the warming planet, we're not going to reach them with that. So let's focus on the people that we can focus on. And then hopefully those sure. two folks with those Russian T-shirts will recognize that uh, they'll live in a cleaner energy economy in the future, and they won't have ever have had to been asked to do anything for it because <laughs> I'm probably going to win them over. You're welcome. Not those. Right. You're welcome. There you go. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's, we've this is this is perfect that you brought this up. We've we've uh, talked about this with with guests in the past um, when we've discovered that uh, uh, like basically. People that you know, some people that we might not agree with, other than um, uh, on on massive issues like like the climate uh, changing, the message is more important than the message. Uh, sorry, the messenger is more important than the message. Yes, right. That's one hundred percent. Nobody wants us yelling at them, even though we that we try not to take that tact. Uh, we well, tr- right. we try to meet them where they are and where their values are, but at the same time, uh, you know, it it might have to be 
uh, your reverend or a former coal miner or someone like that. And the guys with the Russia teachers. How about, how about the 20 year army combat vet businessman who goes to the VFW and tells them at the Chamber of Commerce that our addiction to oil right. is costing the lives of American soldiers? Exactly. That's, exactly. Let, and, about that. Yeah. And, you know, so our, our focal point has been to develop and present specific action our listeners can take to act, uh, whether they're in Texas in District 21 or they're not. So it's either for an issue or against it or help a, help a specific science field or a scientist or expedition or education or candidates. You know, we're talking to a whole bunch of you folks uh, before November 6th when I'm going to need a hell of a lot of Zantac. Point is, <laughs> we're all in. So, Joseph, talk to us. How can we and how can our listeners specifically help you get there on November 6th and then afterwards? Well, thank you. So I'm going to mention two groups that I would call, quote unquote, partisan groups, and then two groups that are nonpartisan, bipartisan. And so therefore, it's important for your list. So obviously, the easiest way Mm -hmm. is to help me get elected. People can use their time, treasure, their talent. Uh, if they're, if they're talented, clean energy wonks that are hearing this, find my Twitter handle, you know, at josephcopser.com, include mm-hmm. me on articles and stories I need to be reading. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way for the talented folks in your audience. Those that have a lot of time in your audience, well, they could actually participate from a distance if they don't live here in Texas on the campaign. And if they contact us on our website, there's ways we can have them help. Do you guys have phone uh, calls like and online phone friends. banking and stuff set up? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Oh, oh, yeah. And it shows up as a local area phone number and we can connect. I'd be more likely to oh. want to talk about energy related things. And then thirdly, treasure. I mean, that's the easiest way. Just go to our website, hit the sure. donate button, dig deep for democracy. Every time you read a news report that makes you mad, go back to our website, click the donate button again, and we'll make it real easy for you. Uh, and then another group that if they want to help more than just us is a group called 314 Action. Mm-hmm. off of pi 314 actions trying to get more science and stem related folks like myself into office and then on the nonpartisan side where energy security and policy meet up there's a group operation free they're trying to get uh, all kinds of folks military vets out to talk about the impact of our lack of energy security policy on policymakers it's bipartisan uh it, it's a great organization or i'd say it's nonpartisan and then uh, mm-hmm. Rocky Mountain Institute is another great one. They do a lot of great research and work uh, in this area. It's nonpartisan as well. And I'd recommend all four of those. But I'm biased. Go to copsreforcongress.com first. Check out what <laughs> of course. Doing. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the Operation Free. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So in a broader context, uh, one of our overarching goals is to shine a light on where we need to go uh, you know, as a people, what are the big actionable questions the rest of us should be asking our our representatives uh, currently and and in the future, uh, wherever wherever we live? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is what is my elected leader doing to incentivize and change behaviors to bow, allow people to move towards the cleaner energy economy? I mean, there's a reason why we have the oil and gas industry in the U.S. It was called World War II. We needed to beat the Germans in the Eastern Front first. So we built a pipeline from Louisiana to New York to be able to keep it going because when we sailed those boats around Florida, they were sinking our oil tankers off our coastline. So we created the incentives to be able to allow that industry to have those pipelines. So what are we doing now for the national security? Again, keep it in the same context to incentivize uh, the private sector to move off of a dependence on foreign sources of fuel. And then we can talk later on about how we make them cleaner in the process. That's it. Like, that's the very first. And then if you want, if your listeners want to get into the questions about right pricing carbon in the marketplace, that's great too. But I think those are the harder issues, but that's where I'd start. Office. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, listen, we're getting close to time here. Uh, Can't, Thank you enough uh, for for all your your time today. Who else should we talk to, Joseph? Uh, we're we're gonna we've got a pretty awesome lineup of of candidates coming up. A lot of three uh, fourteens uh, folks um, who who they've endorsed and they're supporting uh, other scientists, doctors, engineers uh, who who can make a difference in in uh, in Congress, uh, helping to 
make the laws. But, but you know, anybody who's working on that, we like to say, uh, you know, sort of existential-ish uh, stuff, whether they're trying to make something incredible or trying to defend us from something now, that's not great. That can speak to it and we can ask questions about it, and we can help uh, support in some way. So uh, if you've got anybody else, uh, we would love to hear about them. Absolutely. So on the political side of things, MJ Hagar in Texas 31, okay. Gina Ortiz Jones, Texas 23. All three of us are combat vets uh, all up and down Interstate 35 here, here in Central Texas. You would really enjoy that conversation. Uh, awesome. And then there is a company, there's a company here in Texas called Stealth Power uh, that is doing some pretty cool work to operationalize uh, on stored, on unit storage for batteries for trucks, towers, fire trucks, police cars to be able to take all that requirement they have to run computers off of the car, put it on wow. their batteries that are recharged by the movement of the car. It's called Stealth Power. It's great guy there named Shannon Santel, longtime Army buddy, nuclear engineer, friend of mine. He, he'd love talking to him. Uh, and then up in uh, on the East Coast, of course, my buddy John Powers, who is a role model of mine, like I say, he worked for the White House Council mm-hmm. of Environmental Quality. was at the early days of Operation Free and the Truman National Security Project. Uh, th- that's just a few of them. Of course, anybody out at Rocky Mountain Institute, they do great work. Uh, I'd point you out there. There's, there's all kinds kinds of groups. Oh, Michael Weber. You got to get Michael Weber. He is one of the premier energy and water experts at the University of Texas. Uh, he runs an organization called the Weber Institute that is making practical changes happen very quickly. Uh, and, and those should get you started. Awesome. That's incredible. That's a hell of a list. We'll take it, man. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, very cool. I love it. I love it. And and so, you know, again, just to summarize what our listeners and progressives and, and and folks that want a clean energy revolution can do to take action to specifically support you getting into Congress, which will hopefully, uh, you know, again, build uh, more clean energy action. Uh, go to copserforcongress.com. Uh, that is K-O-P-S-E-R for congress.com. Uh, donate and sign up to make phone calls. Uh, help in some way, whether you're in District 21 or in Texas or anywhere else. Uh, help turn this 30 plus year red uh, district blue, which is crazy, but we have a chance to do that, which would be incredible. Put an actual scientist and entrepreneur in office, which we are severely lacking in, um, much less one with an actual clean energy background. Uh, like you said, who is who is built and participated in in that revolution themselves. Walk the walk. That's right. And then also ask your representatives of your own districts, uh, whether they're now or after November 6th, if we're all still here. What are you doing to get our district towards cleaner energy um, and towards uh, better jobs participating in that new economy and, and get some specific answers from them? And if they don't get them, uh, if you don't get them, uh, keep pestering them or run yourself, you know, because uh, we, need, we need people out there who are ready and willing to ask those questions and keep pushing. There you go. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. Uh, Brian's got a quick little lightning round for you. And then uh, and then I think we're, we'll let you get out of here. Yeah, yeah, okay. we have uh, just just a few questions. Um, uh, if that sounds all right, uh, Quinn, you want to hit him with the non-lightning? <laughs> yeah, I gotta I gotta tone these down. Uh, Joseph, hey, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Sixth grade, twelve years old. My teacher, Mrs. Audrey Grievous, instilled in all of us the idea that if you see a problem, fix it. So I've known for a very long time. That is awesome. What is her name again? Wow, Audrey Grievous. Uh, she's my sixth grade teacher, a civil rights icon of the 50s and 60s. And she said, don't wait on other people and don't wait on government. When you see a problem, go and fix it. Oh, man, that is awesome. And that is so, so clearly just bursting out of you. Uh, that is, yeah, that is no special. hesitation at all. That's awesome. <laughs> also, uh, any answer to any question like that that has to do with a, 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 a impactful teacher, I just love. Yep. Such an important part of, uh, of our youth. Uh, Joseph, who, who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? Getting very, very specific, positively impacted my work in the last six months. It's got to be Craig Cummings, my co-founder uh, in Ride Scout and all the work that he's done. He's been a partner in business, uh, a great friend along the ages, and one of the biggest supporters of what we're trying to do. And anytime this trail wears me down or drives me crazy, all I need to do is call him and he fires up my batteries again and sends me back out on the trail. I love it. And and I guess related to that, what do you do when you get overwhelmed by all this bullshit? Drink a beer. Remember <laughs> that I'm doing the best I can and that you can only fix the problems around you. 
And uh, ideally, so over time, you can add more people to it. Oh, what's your uh, what's your beer <laughs> of choice, Joseph? Free cold and wet is my favorite beer. Uh, <laughs> it's my favorite beer. Uh, my beer of choice oh, when I'm out and about smoked. is Fireman's Four, which is a beer that's brewed right here at the Real Ale Brewery inside our district, Texas 21 in Blanco, Texas. The beer that's at my house the most is Miller Lite because uh, that's the beer I grew up on, and uh, it's it's Same. easy and cheap, and I've been drinking it for years. Awesome. I love the specifics. Brian's going to put that, uh, the, that local beer uh, in our show notes for sure. Uh, hey. so good. Uh, Joseph, how do, you, how do you consume the news? Uh, every way possible. Podcasts has become increasingly my favorite. Uh, I'll, I'll you know, take four or five different feeds in the morning of, of different backgrounds, everything from uh, Fox News to MSNBC, PBS, NPR, and then use that during my workouts in the morning so that I'm not only, you know, blowing off some steam, but I'm also reloading uh, my brain with what's important, what's on the news. But I also try to listen to thought pieces as well. Folks mm-hmm. like uh, Econ Talk with Russ Roberts. So I'm getting more in-depth and not just the the the, the news of the day. Right. Sure. That is important. Not just the hot takes. Brian's favorite question. Best question. If you could Amazon Prime one book to... The, the current president, what would it be? How to win friends and influence people. Hey, that's the second time we've had that one. Yes. Yeah. That's wow. what he, he could benefit from that. It, it is a, it is a damn good one. Will you give us your, uh, your uh, Twitter handle again, anywhere else we can follow you and our listeners can follow you online. At, Joseph. Yeah. So I go by at Joseph Copser and the campaign is at Copser for the number four Congress. I love it. Beautiful. Uh, Joseph, uh, how's the polling going? Where are we, where are we looking going like? in the right place? I mean, bottom line, once people hear my story, those independents in the middle just want to see calm come from the chaos. They're less worried about the issues of the extremes, the polarizing politics, and they just want to get stuff done. Oh, hell yeah, man. All right. Well, we're going to do what we can to help that out and uh, bump it up even higher. We can't thank you enough for your time today and for stepping up and, uh, deciding to, uh, now participate uh, quite directly in uh, in democracy and and help to influence uh, the world for future generations here. Um, so thank you, Joseph. Uh, we hope you keep kicking ass out there. Okay, thanks a lot. Pardon, thank you. Uh, sorry, I had to leave early. I got another call coming in, but I look forward to hearing the podcast and staying in touch. Not at all. Take that care. Good luck. Great. Thank Take you, care, Joseph. Guys. All right. Thank you. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcast. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. 